we're talking about the church tonight. This topic hits home for me, near and dear, right here. And the reason is because I grew up in the church. I was blessed. My family, strong believers, grew up going to Sunday school. So when I hear, I think about the church, it has a very significant personal meaning to me. I want to start off by talking about a book. It's a book called Unchristian, and it's written by uh, an organization called the Barna Group. The Barna Group, I'm not sure where they're based out of, in all honesty, but they are known for putting together polls and studies and statistics about Christianity. Churches use it. They came out with this book a number of years ago. It's an interesting read uh, that I enjoyed. One of the studies had questions to millennials. This is not verbatim, but essentially the question is this, what word comes to mind when you hear Christian? And they're doing the study in a way to try to get like a broad idea, like not, not a representative a representation of, you know, essentially most millennials. This is what they think. Okay, so first, no, I say first three, the top three things non-believers think about Christianity. Judgmental, hypocritical and homophobic and so when we talk about the church it's like this is the thing these are the things that non-believers how they view us the first things that come to mind okay so it's important when we're talking about the church to keep that in mind let's start off with the definition uh, oh also before I go into the definition so we're talking about church with a big C this is it's kind of a Christian cliche it's a way to denote we're talking about church as a whole not just the local church like Seacoast has a church, but the big C people usually would mean like universally believers. So, all right, Grudem gives us a definition. The church is the community of all true believers for all time. So this includes both Old Testament and New Testament, New Covenant. We talked about that previously, so that includes us. There's examples and precedents in the Old Testament of God calling people together for the purpose of worship, worshiping Him. Deuteronomy 4.10 how on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so. The church, Big C, has this interesting dynamic. We've got on one hand a visible, physical church. We do have, a lot of churches have places that they meet. You go to church, for example, like Seacoast, we see other believers there. So I can see people that go to church. Uh, you turn on the TV, you see televangelists, you, you can see people talking about their faith. Uh, but on the other hand, we have uh, the church, going back to our definition, the church is made up of believers, and that's a spiritual standing. So in one sense, the true spiritual rea reality of church is invisible because we cannot see the spiritual conditions of people's hearts. So this brings me to kind of an interesting side note that the visible church will always include some unbelievers. Uh, when I think about this, there's a couple examples that come to mind. Uh, one is that there are people who are seekers and they enjoy church as a community, the fellowship, coming to church, the music, the coffee. So the Barna Group also did another question they ask people is, when, uh, when you first go to church, what's going to bring you back the next week? That's the question. Number one answer, good coffee. Are kidding? Not kidding you. Wow. So number one is good coffee. Number two, 
was uh, if someone looks at you and says like welcome this eye contact was key so people said like if someone looks at you and says you know nice to meet you good morning that was brings you back number three was worship good music coffee eye contact it wasn't just saying hello it was like you got to feel welcome somebody welcomes you with eye contact okay and then third was yeah with the music <coughs> all right going back to my <laughs> interesting side note that was a side note of a side note. <laughs> Um, okay, so people that are seekers, they enjoy community, but they never make a decision to confess their sin and believe Christ is their Savior. They're part of the church, but they're unbelievers. The second people I thought of have a more malicious intent. Matthew seven fifteen. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So there's folks who are part of the visible church that are there to swindle you out of money, scam you, whatever. They're, they're not there because they have a love for God. The wheat and the tares. Say it again. The wheat and the tares. The wheat and the tares, yes. Yeah. Uh, church is both local, small, and universal, expansive. Paul gives us an example of a visible church that's both local and universal. Romans 16.5, this is referring to house churches that, of course, are small and local. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Christ, uh, excuse me, Paul in 1 Corinthians 1-2 is talking about entire cities as churches. To the church of God that is is in Corinth. So that's also just giving you kind of from perspective. You know, that's the word I'm looking for. The Bible uses lots of different imagery when it's talking about the church. And it helps us to better understand the church, its nature, its roles, things like this. So, for example, Paul views the church as a family. 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 2, just real briefly, these are some context. Paul's giving instructions about the church. In verse 5, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. God is also... Uh, described as our Heavenly Father and we're his sons and daughters which continues this family metaphor. So 2 Corinthians 6.18 And I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters to me says the Lord Almighty. Scripture also compares the church to branches on a vine you see the reference there a field of crops and a building. Another real rich deep complex metaphor is that the church is viewed as the body of Christ. This is in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27. I just highlighted a couple of verses here. In verse 12, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Verse 27, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And this has, there's, there's, you can go lots of different areas with this. One is marriage, how Christ, Paul talks about how marriage is like a mystery, and this is also in reference to how Christ is the bridegroom of the church. So marriage, the body of Christ, it also has to do with different roles. We talked about the Trinity a little bit, Holy Spirit, God, the Father, and the Son, how they're all still one, and when you get married, you become one flesh, you leave your family and cleave to your wife. So there's a lot of depth, spiritual truths, this idea that Christ's body 
represents the church and that has serious implications for your family and your marriage primarily primarily okay um, another great definition of the church comes from a statement of faith from the Lutherans and it's called the Augsburg Confession dated to 1530 define and so this this confession defined the church as the congregation of saints in which the gospel is rightly taught and the sacraments rightly administered. So the first part of that definition, first part is the gospel. The gospel is salvation comes by faith through Christ alone. It's not by works. The second part of that definition are sacraments, which some people also will call ordinances. They can be used interchangeably with some subtleties, but for our class, we're going to use them interchangeably. Specifically, their baptism and the Lord's Supper. So I want to talk about these two real briefly. First one, baptism. So baptism has a lot of complexities and nuances and depth and richness, you know, that we just talked about too with Christ's body being a metaphor. But I also want to recognize that, oh, here, I want to, I want to give you a quote from Grudem about baptism. He says, we need to recognize this is not a major doctrine that should be the basis of division among genuine Christians. So later we're going to talk about some application, talk about unity. That's a really big deal for the church as a whole. And I think now more than ever, may arguably maybe the early church, it was really important. Okay. I, I would, I would maybe, uh, seed that, you know, that that's probably true. But I think now, honestly, Besides early church, when the gospel is spreading, we have this foundation that the apostles are going out. It's like now is the next biggest time um, for a variety of reasons. We'll talk about it here in just a second. Okay, so baptism. The purpose of baptism is to strengthen and encourage our faith. Baptism has several key aspects. Symbolism of our union with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. So here at Seacoast, we do baptism by immersion. So he dies, they dunk you under, so he's buried, they bring you back up, just like the rest. So there's this like physical aspect to it as well, like it's physically represented, and the pastors usually allude to this when they're actually doing the baptism as well. We talked about previously being justified, being glorified. All of this is wrapped up in our identity and union with Christ. Like we're, we have glorified bodies, we're resurrected, we have life because Christ has life. He has a resurrected body. Um, he's glorified in heaven. So our identity uh, says we receive these blessings and promises because of him. He is worthy of this inheritance. He fulfilled the requirements. And because of his work, we are co-heirs. That's in Romans 8. So we get all of these benefits because of Christ and our union with him, symbolized in baptism. Number two. Symbolism of pure, baptism symbolizes purification and cleansing from sins. Again, because of his work on the cross, not anything that we've done. <clears throat> and we talked about atonement and how when you have that saving faith, you are instantly justified and made righteous. Yeah. Number three, baptism is an outward sign of inward faith. It's a public declaration of faith in Christ and obedience to him. It should be celebrated and rejoiced that all believers in the church can be built up. Let's talk about the second sacrament, the Lord's Supper, also known as communion. The meaning of the Lord's Supper, again, is complex, rich, full. Let me give you some aspects and symbolisms. 
Number one, the first symbol that's portrayed in the Lord's Supper is Christ's death. 1 Corinthians 11.26 For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Number two, as we take the Lord's Supper, we proclaim, I am taking the benefits of Christ's death to myself. You affirm your faith in Christ. You're saying, I needed Christ's sacrifice to pay for my sins, represented by the uh, bread, his body, and the cup, his blood. Number three, spiritual nourishment. John 6, 53 through 55. So this is Jesus speaking. So of course I always perk up. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. So communion has this spiritual nourishment. Just like food nourishes our body, communion nourishes our soul. Four, the unity of believers. Going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. The purposes of the church. Three main purposes. A, ministry to God through worship. B, ministry to believers, nurturing the believer. And C, ministry to the world through evangelism and mercy. So when I first came across these purposes, that last one stood out to me like that. Because I thought when I was thinking of, uh, when I was going over this idea of un, the unchristian book and they're saying that we're judgmental, hypocritical, homophobic, I was like, wow, this idea of mercy just stuck out as the antithesis, the opposite of what the church is, you know, mercy is the opposite of judgment. And um, so, like I said, I'm just trying to bring the point home that, and the application will talk about this, how we all have a part to play in this idea of how the church is perceived, what people, how people view Christ, and it's a big deal, uh, especially for our generation, millennials. I want to go through each of those points, giving some references. So point A was ministry to God through worship. Colossians 3.16, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Point B was ministry to believers. This is also in Colossians 1.28. Present every man mature in Christ, also in Ephesians 4.12-13, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And we just talked about how that's a direct reference to the church. And see ministry to the world through evangelism and mercy. This is the great commission uh, that Jesus is given as he's about to be ascended after his resurrection. Matthew 28:19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The primary mission is to preach the gospel and mature believers. Along with preaching the gospel, Christ provides further insight into what it means regarding mercy. Because again, remember that stuck out to me. So Luke 6, 35-36. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward, your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. I'm in the season of moving like you guys already know. And so, of course, I'm very grateful, and people are essentially doing us favors, helping us out. 
and you know we're kind of this there's this part of our american society like you scratch my back i scratch yours you know quid pro quo that's in the news a lot right right now so what does god say like so what how is what is he saying merciful he's saying look you should do good and land expecting nothing in return um be merciful even as your father is merciful and that strikes me too because i think of course i i know more than like anybody else what i've done in my life right you know the sins i've done the things the just you know times i haven't represented him well <clears throat> i know i'm getting emotional but it's it's a poignant thing to think about the mercy you know that god's given you Amen. Yeah. and i think we've talked about uh, talked about this before i think with the with the trinity how the holy spirit knows god's mind yeah. Like really, God knows your mind, and you know your mind, and that's it. Yeah. You know, even my wife doesn't know me like I know myself. Another main point I wanted to focus on tonight is unity. Uh, there's a really strong emphasis in the New Testament on the unity of the church, and it smacks you in the face. You cannot get past it. It's a serious thing. Okay, John, ten sixteen. Again, this is Jesus talking, so my ears perk up. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Jesus' main point, his goal is that there shall be one flock, that's the church, under one shepherd, that's Christ as the head. John 17, 21, Jesus in his high priestly prayer asks that all believers uh, may be one. Like, his high priestly prayer, he's talking about believers then and also in the future, so that they may be one. And this unity is a witness to unbelievers. I thought I had written that out, but I didn't. I apologize. John uh, 17, 23. Jesus prays, this is still part of the high priestly prayer. Jesus prays that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Here it is. I knew I'd put it in there. <laughs> Verse 21. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. It's a profound thing to think about. How do you know Christ was God? When we talked about the canon, the first class, I mentioned when somebody asked me, why do I believe what I believe, I go to the Bible. And I go to that because we have things that are written, they, they have been shown to be true, and they have profound meanings. Like Jesus was a real person. He really said these things, and the claims that he's making were backed up by significant miracles, prophecies, we'll go down the list. So Christ is making this point. People are going to know that I'm from God, because of your unity. That's what he's saying in this. And it's not, he's not saying, here's a point I want to make, he's not saying it's brotherly love like in the broad sense, meaning it's not love for just everybody else, even though, yes, we're called to love everybody. God so loved the world. But he's explicitly calling out the church, saying he's gonna, they're going to know that I'm from God, that Jesus is who he said he was because of what Christians, the love they have for each other. <clears throat> so it really makes me listen up. And he, the, of course, strikes at home when he says 
I want them to be as one just as the Father and I are one. And we talked about the Spirit and the Trinity a little bit last week too, and we know that it's one God, three persons. <clears throat> the church has power and authority. Moving on. The power of the church is its God-given authority to carry on spiritual warfare, proclaim the gospel, and exercise church discipline. Let me talk about each of these real briefly. Spiritual warfare, 2 Corinthians 10, 3-4. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Second point, weapons of the church include prayer, worship, authority to rebuke demons, the words of scripture, faith, and righteous work on the part of the members of the church. When I think about weapons of the church, of course, I think of the armor of God, which is in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Proclaim the gospel, Matthew 16, 19. Jesus is talking here to Peter, who he says is like, you know, he's the rock. Like he says on Jesus, or Peter makes this proclamation, you're the Savior, you're the God, you're the Messiah. And he's like, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. So this is in that, I think it's in that interaction. Jesus talking to Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Church discipline. Purpose of church discipline is to restore and reconcile the believer who is sinning, prevent the sin from spreading to others, and to honor Christ. A church member who is openly living in unrepentant sin does not reflect Christ to non-believers, and it needs to be addressed. Let's talk about some application. Uh, three points. We should be actively working for unity of the visible church. Far too often, uh, Christians are looking for reasons to divide, leave a church, start an argument. And I think this is, this is kind of what I was alluding to earlier, that we're at a time now more than ever that the church is viewed as divided, argumentative, and non-believers, understandably, don't find that attractive. Um, but more than that, too, it's, this is not what Christ has called us to. Uh, he hasn't called us to be divisive, uh, but rather to be one body, one spirit, take part in one, one bread, uh, going back to the Lord's Supper. So um, how do we show people that we're together? Well, some examples, speaking highly of other churches. That's something we get into a lot. You know, oh, you go to that church or this or that, or kind of like have this hierarchy of churches, right? Well, if someone says, you know, we go to this church, right? Like, compliment them or say, oh, I heard good things about that church. They're doing X, Y, Z, you know, like, so speaking highly of other churches that you don't belong to. Um, doing projects and serving together. So this is an easy one because, of course, churches are doing a lot of community outreaches and stuff like this. So being a part of other churches' outreaches or bringing, you know, churches together for specific projects. Um, I think supporting our brothers and sisters in public. We've got like social media, but more than that too, just like our sphere of influence that's around us, like other believers maybe who uh, are getting attacked or, or, or who, you know, what have you, in different scenarios, just speaking highly, sticking up for other people that we know are believers. Um, this is a, a, another kind of cliche believe it's going back to like believers and finding the church attractive and stuff believers excuse me people who aren't christian they have to belong before they're going to believe and this is kind of a cliche you may have heard before but i think it's very true especially in this day and age 
is that like, that's one, so we talked about the Barnard study and what brings people back. Well, the number two was just making somebody feel welcome. So like, you know, out of the gate, if you're trying to bring up an argument or expose somebody's sin, understandably they're not going to come back or they're going to be turned off by that, right? Yeah. <coughs> so um, that's one, that first application. Second one, the sacraments should have a special place in our hearts. When we take communion or witness baptism, it's a holy moment. We need to have reverence and be encouraged by other believers that are on fire for him. And Seacoast does a great job of this, having regular communion every week, having baptism, advertising it, bringing people out. And these are special things. There are moments where <clears throat> they're getting this spiritual nourishment. It's for building up of the body. So it's, a, I think, a special time that we sometimes just don't let the moment speak to you because it can become routine or we don't um, always recognize the symbolism that's there, the depth that's there. We just kind of let it go. So I'm saying, listen up, pay attention, let, allow God to use these sacraments to speak to you and to encourage you. Number three, we have, a signif- we have a significant part to play in the purposes of the church. Going back real briefly to the purposes. I know, sorry. Ministry to God through worship, ministry to believers, ministry to the world through evangelism and mercy. So we're the hands and feet of Christ. We're Christ's ambassadors. We represent him. 2 Corinthians 5.20 Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. So we need to practice and meditate on these. I talked about some of the weapons that we have. The the, um, armor of God. We need to ask God for chances to proclaim the gospel. Be open, aware of what's going on around you on a deeper level and be open to what the Spirit is saying to you. Have boldness. Know that the Holy Spirit's going to give you the words that really, you know, you're responsible for planting the seed. God is responsible for making the change, having it grow. And He has a perspective that we don't. There may be other people planting seeds, watering it, you know, around you. So you have a part to play. That's the main point. That's all I got. Thanks for listening, guys. I want to hear uh, from you all. We already had some discussion earlier. I'd love to hear what's some of your application points. What are your experiences with the church? What's some things that you've heard from non-believers? So, like, I grew up in the church, right? So, me personally, I've never...